Some days are terrible. Wish that you were dead. Hi. Hello. How are you? Congrats on not killing yourself. That is a fucking accomplishment. Welcome to the voices in our heads. I am your trusty host. Trusty? That's not. I don't know. I'm Christina Hutchinson. Either way, whatever words mean anything, I don't know. Um, I have a waffle baby. I'm currently pregnant. Thank you so much. Because I did gigs in Connecticut. Thank you to everybody who came out to the Fairfield shows. Those were really fun. We was in a field and it wasn't weird. And I had a, I was doing 45 minute sets. But then the first show, I was like, that was like an hour, right? And I looked down at my um, recorder and it had only been 32 minutes. And I was like, oops, well, we'll get it right the next time. So thank you everybody for coming to the shows. There was a lady there. I forget your name. I'm sorry. Um, but she gifted me a t-shirt that she made. And on the top and the front, it says GWF. And then on the back, it says, don't like abortion, get a vasectomy. And I was like, oh yeah. And when she gave it to me, she's like, I don't know if this is like too intense for you to wear. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. This is exactly the kind of message that I want to wear. So thank you. And then I've been walking around Murray Hill with my don't like abortion, get a vasectomy t-shirt on, expecting people to be like, I love your shirt. No one said it yet. When I wear my shirt that says, don't be an asshole, everyone's like, I love your shirt. But when I wear a shirt that says, don't like abortions, get a vasectomy, people are like, I don't know if I like that one, though. My mind can't handle that concept. You mean the man should take responsibility if he's in a position where he wants to tell women what to do with their bodies? That's too crazy, y'all. And it is to some people. And that's that's a bunch of... <laughs> but um, the day I had the Connecticut shows, um, Corinne's best friend, Tommy, I borrowed his car to drive Wendy Starling Night to the shows and he, he offered to watch Kevin. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I was gonna leave him at home by his lonesome, but it's probably best if he spends eight hours with the person. So I was like, okay, yes, absolutely. Thank you, but heads up. Kevin's never been left alone with somebody before and he's not, he's kind of a dick to people when I'm not, like just that he doesn't know very well or if I'm not there, I feel like he wouldn't be lovable and playful and was I right yes I was Kevin you done had under the couch the whole time Corinne came over with her dog Alfred to Tommy's while I was in Connecticut and they took him to a dog park with Alfred and Kevin was under the bench the whole goddamn time and then Corinne at one point picked him up and put him by another dog in this dog park and then he went back under the bench he was either under a bench or waiting by the gate to leave and I was like well that's rude but um yeah so this girl that gave me that abortion shirt also gave me a box of ego waffles and I was she was like I, I I remember you saying you like waffles I'm like I fucking love waffles and I haven't eaten them in so long since I went on my diet guys I was on a diet <laughs> um and so I hadn't bought, I haven't purchased them at the grocery store because if I do, I'll eat the whole box when I'm stoned off the weed at night. And last night, a couple days after that show, I was stoned off the weed and I opened my freezer like I do every night. I look around for food I can eat as if I don't know what I purchased, as if maybe I forgot that there's a candy bar somewhere. And then when there ultimately is not, I go, that serves me right. I'll just eat some seeds. 
and uh, I opened my freezer last night, and there were some waffles. So I was like, oh, fuck this shit. I'm eating waffles. And I ate three waffles. First, I ate two, and I put butter on them. And then I ate one more, and I put jelly on it. And this morning, I woke up, and I feel like I have a donut baby in my stomach. Don't like abortion? Don't eat waffles, you dumb bitch. That was to me. That was to me. Speaking of shows, I'm going to be in the following states with Corinne Fisher, my comedy partner, uh, on the following dates. Royersford, Pennsylvania. 215 Wawa Country. Ooh, ooh. Corinne and I are going to be at Soul Joel's Amphitheater, September 19th. We're going to do one show, and if it sells out, we'll do two shows that night. Uh, that is the gig where Big J Okerson... Uh, there was a fly on my mic. That's why I did that. Um, got tackled during his second show. And I don't want that to happen to me, y'all. So when you come to Soul Joel's Amphitheater, September 19th in Royersford, Pennsylvania, giggity hey, giggity wawa, go see Soul Joel's Amphitheater, uh, don't tackle us, please. We're little. And then Tempe, Arizona. We're going to be at the Tempe Improv October 8th through the 10th. Denver, Colorado. We're going to be at Comedy Works that got rescheduled October 22nd to the 24th. Those two shows in Arizona and Colorado are indoors. They're going to be at 50% capacity, I believe. The clubs are doing all these things to take precautions for COVID. Um, And you can read about them if it makes you nervous. And I understand if it does. But yeah, those are the dates that you could see me. All right, guys. Can you tell me what time it is? Oh, I can. It's time for some fuckboy theater. Yay. Okay, so I'm going to read a conversation. This is actually, I usually read conversations that happen between two people on dating apps for fuckboy theater. But this time it's an Instagram DM. This girl messaged me. And she's an artist. I think she does. I don't. In the screenshots, it doesn't say what her handle is because I would have promoted her. But um, she's an artist. I'm not sure if she paints or what, but she's an artist. She does art. And she says a lot of times guys will DM her because they want to flirt with her. And that's annoying for her because Instagram is where she, you know, has her art. And if you want to contact her, it's because you want to buy art. So apparently that happens to her a lot. And this is a conversation between her and a fuckboy named, named Glennis. <laughs> it's Dennis. <laughs> I don't even know why I try. Okay. So this is a guy DMing her on Instagram. <clears throat> Let me get in the zone. Hold on. Me, 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 me. <clears throat> okay. Thank you. Hello? Hi. Are you interested in a piece? Yes, and I will love to know more about it. Awesome, glad to hear. If I may ask, and not to be rude. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. What may I call you, and where are you chatting from? Oh, God, it's a fucking bot. Sarah, and I'm an artist based in New York City. So if you'd like a piece, send me links to the ones that you're interested in. Or screenshots, whichever is easier. Nice to meet you, Sarah. I'm Dennis from North Carolina. But I'm not currently in the state. Okay, I will do so. But for now, I am not with my phone to take a screenshot. You fucking liar. You're on Instagram. 
but I will do that when I can, okay? But first of all, can I please get to know you better, please? At this time, I'm only taking DMs that are related to business inquiries. If you have any other questions about the purchasing process, let me know. Okay. I understand. No, you don't. I also don't do DM, but due to the nature of my job where I am now, I would have deal with you. But based on my side currently, I will just want us to get to know each other better and good so we can be good partners in future. Dot, 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 dot. Or what do you think? Like I said, I'm only taking business inquiries at this time. So if slash when you're interested in purchasing a piece, let me know. Okay. Sorry if I misunderstood you. Okay. All good. Have a good day. But I am interested in knowing you and I insist, please, Sarah, am not forcing you, but just a human feelings. <laughs> you can take your time to know me slowly if you don't mind. One last time, only taking business inquiries. And if you don't respect my boundary, I'm going to have to block you. Have a good day. And then the last thing he says to her is, okay is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, gang. Hey, it was a team effort. Thanks, Sarah. And thank you, Dennis. You did it. You didn't, but, you know, you tried. You didn't try. That's a lie. Oh, my God. Guys, I can't spell for shit, which I knew, but you don't really know the extent to which you cannot spell until you go to reply to a handwritten letter that someone has so kindly sent to your P.O. Box. P.O. Box 1926, New York, New York, 10156. Press the We Rewind button if you didn't get all that. Anyway, that's my P.O. Box. I can't spell for shit. I miss spelling shit and I'm writing it and then I'm like, I write, I take up the whole page to write and then I misspell a word and I cross it out and I go, ha, I can't spell. <laughs> and then by the third time I do it in the same letter, I'm like, I'm just going to start over. Because worst case, I learn how to spell. You know, practice makes perfect. Well, not perfect because that'll never happen. And if you think it will, that'll drive you to jump off a mountain. And one thing I got to say, too, about this whole healing shit, like feeling your feelings, like process your emotion, like we're all on a journey. Um, I'm not actively mad at the people in my life who I had to cut off anymore. I am not actively mad at them because... I spent time being extremely fucking mad at them in my own time. I processed my feelings. I got it out. I called them terrible names. I insulted them and their family, not because I didn't like their family, just because I was angry. To the wall. You know what I mean? I'm not doing this publicly. That's rude. But my point is, I got angry at the people I had to get angry towards by myself on my own time. Now, that That's how it worked for me. And I understand that a lot of times it's better to like get mad at the person. But every circumstance is a unique little snowflake, my darling. <laughs> but because I got my feelings out, one person I still gotta like write a letter to or something. But because I got my feelings out, I feel at peace in a way that I've never experienced before. 
And I can't tell you how much I enjoy my own company. Like I genuinely make myself laugh every day. I riff out loud to Kevin and boy, I crack me up. I'm fucking hilarious. And it got me thinking because it got me thinking, thinking I'm something I've never done. Pondering shit, interrogating my feelings. I never do that. Just kidding. I always do that. And it's exhausting. That's why I need the weed. But I really have a problem with people refusing to believe the pain of another person. And of course, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter and racism. And, and the people on the internet who really don't think racism exists, you stupid fucks, it does. It just does. And if you don't think it exists, you're a dumb fuck and you're wrong. But you can be a non-dumb fuck and be not wrong if you just listen to the pain of other people. I posted this video on my Instagram feed from this NBA coach, Doc Rivers. It was this beautiful speech. I was watching an episode of uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And he played a clip of this speech and he was talking about the Republican National Convention and how these fucking crazy fuckers these stupid fucks, all of those people that spoke at the Republican National Convention have so much unresolved childhood trauma and pain of their own that I don't know if they see it or not. I, well, I have no way of knowing that. Neither do you. Maybe they see it and they're like, I'm just going to shove that in a hole. But maybe they don't. Maybe, they, maybe they're like, I don't know. I don't know. But Doc Rivers is beautiful fucking speech uh, about and raw pain and raw frustration that he was feeling because one of the messages that was said repeatedly from the Republican National Convention is fear. And the fucking whiteies who guarded their house when the Black Lives Matter protest broke through the gated community to go to the mayor's house of whatever the fuck state, I forget. And that couple, one of them had a machine gun and the wife had a handgun and they were outside on their lawns waving their guns. So scared and pathetic, you know? Really pathetic. And I looked in their eyes during that clip. I'm like, you're so sad to me, man. They were one of the first people to speak at the Republican National Convention. And one of the things that they said was the, the, the lady, the wife, is that we should be scared of low-income apartments ruining the suburbs and the people that are going to live in them ruining our suburban life. Why don't you just say you hate black and brown people, you stupid fuck? Because that's what you're saying. That's the thing that kills me. Just fucking be racist outright if you're going to be racist. Don't try and trick me and hide it and pretend like you're not, you stupid shit. Hi Stand behind your words with your guns, you cowardly fucks. And so Doc Rivers was remarking about how they're trying to instill fear in the people at the convention. Well, there's no one. At, I don't know if there's anyone at the convention because of COVID. I, or maybe there was because whatever. And he was like, you're telling everybody else to be scared when black people are the ones being murdered. White, a white father never has to sit down with his son and go over the protocol that he should follow if he gets pulled over by the police. So God damn. And it's this refusal. This speech was so beautiful by Doc Rivers. And, and, I, and I'm like, how? And people commented, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen that people were going to be like, racism's not a thing. And I knew it was going to be white men. It's just, it's, you got, you white male racist, you're so fucking predictable. It's boring, to be honest. 
But usually I would respond to that type of comment with anger. I wouldn't be able to articulate myself because I'm so fucking mad because I just want to punch you in your stupid fuck face. But you know what, guys? I'm processing my emotions towards my own grief from my childhood. And now I can have compassion for people who make a barf emoji comment on that video of the Doc Rivers speech. And I can ask them things like, who hurt you? Was it your mother or your father? Who was a terrible parent to you, sir? Because that child in your profile picture, because of course I look at your profile. I'm trying to roast you, you dumb shit. But there was him and a little kid in his profile picture. This guy who commented the barf emoji. And I said, who was an asshole to you? Was it your mother who was an asshole to you? Or was it your father who was an asshole to you? Because let me tell you something. That little boy in your profile picture is on the same track as you. Unless you stop the cycle and you can stop the cycle. And I felt so good about saying that. And then he was like. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, okay. And then he was like. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, keep going, keep going. You're talking to the ether now because I'm not listening to what you're saying. And then other people who follow me started to argue with him. I'm like, thank you. You guys take it from here because that's all the compassion I have for this man today. And, and, I, and I love, man, so I have this bit about the 23andMe debacle that I do in my stand-up set. Um, I, I wrote, of course I wrote a bit about it. <laughs> Duh. And... Um, there's this part at the beginning before I say like um, to have the biological father sperm donor thing. I talk about, um, you know, that I, I get this, I spit in the tube, I mail it in, I download this 23 me up and I go to check it and I have my fingers crossed and I go, all right, not white, not white, not white. Come on, not white. <laughs> and my friend Ryan Reese, who's a stand-up comedian, we, we did a show in Brooklyn, um, it's like a month ago, and, and he's really good at giving me notes um, we give each other notes. It's mainly he giving me notes because I'm just like, everything you do is great because I can't. I'm still trying to find critiques um, that could critique something without feeling like a bitch. Um, but he was asking me, uh, you know, a note for that particular bit on that particular part where I crossed my fingers and I'm like, not white, not white, not white. Come on, not white. He's like, why don't you want to be white? Say it, like talk, say, you know, in funny words, obviously, like talk about why you don't want to be white. And I was like, well, that's a great note, Ryan Reese. Thank you. And I got, got to thank it. I haven't figured out how to say this in a stand-up bit, but like, and something I wanted to make a bit about this, but I, don't, I just don't, I'm talking it out here because, you know, I don't get to do stand-up as much because COVID. But I love, you know, that's why I love comedians' brains because we, we want to think of the implications of what we say in a set. And sometimes we'll say, like, this is, the, this is the sentiment I want to give off when I talk about this certain subject. And a lot of times that's not how it comes off at all. And that's when, you know, when an audience member gets really offended or pissed off about something you say, a lot of times it's when a comic is still developing the ch- chunk of clay into a pot. So it's an unfinished, it's unfinished. Some bits we intentionally want to make people feel uncomfortable because we're like little conductors and our orchestra is the audience. But sometimes you wave your hands a certain way and then the violin section is like, and you're like, okay, maybe I got to wave my hands a different way. So you're always, you know, it's trial and error. But I was, one of the things I wanted to do a bit about, and I was thinking, this got me thinking about this note, like, why didn't you want to be white? First of all, I'm not proud I see a lot of people from all different cultures really proud to be from the culture that they're from. But I'm not proud to be what? I learned I'm Jewish on 23andMe. I I can't really even say I'm proud to be that because I didn't fucking know I was Jewish. So, you know, 
I've learned about the Jewish culture since then, but also before then. Moved to New York City. All your friends is Jews. It's great. <clears throat> so I've always really admired the Jewish religion because it seemed like the least controlly of the religions that I knew of, except for Hasidic. That's a little, you know, there's rules to follow with that one. Um, but I was thinking like, why? And, and you know, there's these phrases about, specifically about black people, like black, black love. Like I always hear black people talk about the beauty of black love, like black romantic love. And I look at examples of black love and I fucking get it. Beyonce and Jay-Z, their relationship, and I'm not talking about the infidel and the cheat, because you don't fucking know what kind of deal they have privately, and then they fucking, Beyonce does lemonade, because she's like, well, if you're going to cheat on me, I'm going to sing about it, and, and Jay-Z's like, yeah, that's fair. But like, Beyonce and Jay-Z, fucking, oh, the way they love each other is beautiful, and I'm not talking about the the, the cheating and the infidelity stuff. I, I'll, you want to talk about that? That's another episode, but, because um, you don't know what agreement Jay-Z and Beyonce have, Okay. I've people who know Jay-Z or worked with him say he cheats, but I'm like, you don't think Beyonce's getting dick? Fuck you. Okay. My favorite thing a comedian's ever said about Beyonce and Jay-Z is Dave, uh, Dave Chappelle when he goes, man, Jay-Z's got fuck you money, but Beyonce's got no fuck you money. And I was like, that's fucking, I love that. Anyway, but like the way that they love each other, Barack and Michelle, can you think of another couple another president and his wife that have been through the White House that love each other the way Barack and Michelle do? No. I mean, maybe there's some. Tell me them. Email me. The Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. But the way Barack and Michelle were together, they brought sensuality to their relationship and they showed it. They fucking loved each other. They thought each other was fucking sexy. They were turned on by each other. And you saw it. And you see it with Beyonce and Jay-Z. Dude, if you don't follow Alicia Keys and Swiss Beats on Instagram, you, you, you're missing out. That's another example of black love where I'm like, God damn, how beautiful their relationship is. And I have never. When is the last time you heard anybody say, man, you know what's so beautiful? White love. Oh, white love is just so sensual. No. I feel like white love is not telling the other person how you really feel and then hope they guess, you know? White love to me is not sensual and all-encompassing and mutually respectful in like the sexy way. Just, there's no vulnerability that I, in, in famous examples of white love, what the, like, no. And then I hear about black girl magic. And I'm like, yeah, yes. I absolutely understand the concept of, as I, obviously as much as I can understand it as a white girl. But I look at people, they're like, yeah, that girl's got black girl magic. This is black girl magic. I'm like, yes, you know what it is. What's white girl magic? Saying sorry to the furniture after you bump into it? White girl magic is making a bath bomb and selling it on Etsy? But really, do bath bombs do anything except put sparkles in your water? Which I won't knock that. That's very fun. And I just, I feel like white people got to stick up their butt about something. And I don't, 
really know what and my my good friend donna guerreros who i love very much her husband alexis guerreros is a stand-up comedian and alexis was like he's like you know i feel like white people's probably this is his quote so don't yeah this he said this he's like i feel like white people one of the roots of their problem or the spine of the problem is they don't they can't dance they're not comfortable dancing i'm like you know what there's something to that because the image of a white person dancing, if you think, think of a white person dancing right now, it's not great. I'm sure maybe your butthole's clenching right now. Think of any other race dancing and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're in their own body. So there's some disconnect with white people that I don't, I can't really put, that's why I haven't done it as a bit yet because I'm like, I don't really know what it is yet. But I do know that white girl magic ain't a thing. But black girl magic absolutely is. And I don't really understand. I can't pinpoint the discrepancies in it yet. But I'm, I'm you know, I'm my thinking caps on. My wheels are spinning. I'll get there. And when I do get there and I have something to say, I'm going to talk about it on stage. But that got me thinking. I'm like, man, white people really can't dance. Obviously, some can. So I'm not hashtag not all whiteies, okay? But like... The Karens that try to go into a Costco without their mask and then the manager politely tells them that they can't enter without a mask and then they film the manager as if they're right? That ain't white girl magic. That's white girl. That's white girl. No magic about that. No magic about that. Oh, man. I was so sad to hear about um, Chadwick Boseman's uh, passing. Um, an actor who has been fucking... His roles have been so iconic and his story is so beautiful. I have never had my Instagram feed exploding with love and respect for one person at one time as I did about this man. I, and and, I, and it, I loved learning more about him, things I didn't know about him. And all the kind words these people were saying about him. I'm like, man, what a fucking legacy. What a beautiful, compassionate, talented, beloved man he was. Can you imagine a white person not saying they had cancer? Can you imagine that? If a white person got cancer, they'd be like, guys, I have cancer. Don't look at me that way. I have cancer. Hi, I'm Christine. I have cancer. Thank you. Not saying all white people act like that. But if we're doing this, like, I just can't. That's what a beautiful act of grace. And I, I don't know exactly why he did it. I'm sure there's reasons that we'll never know. Maybe he didn't want people looking down on him. Maybe he didn't want, he just didn't feel like, he didn't want people to know. But I'm like, man, a white person, if they had cancer, they'd almost be like, da-da-da-da-da. People are going to feel sorry for me forever. And I'm going to love it. <laughs> that's. That's white people for you. So if anybody has any suggestions on how white people can be less or what it is, because maybe it's because I'm white and I don't, I, I can't, I don't know. But I'm really obsessed with this idea and I want to eventually articulate it into a, a joke on stage. I just, I don't know how yet, but I will figure it out. Um, guys, let's get into, uh, let's get into the uh, six pillar the sixth pillar of self-esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. 
Uh, we've been doing this. this is the sixth episode on this book. I'm very excited. And this is only chapter 11. So we're going to continue on. Again, if you have the book, you can read along and it's cool. But you don't need the book to get to get out of it. I'm summarizing all my favorite points, y'all. The practice of personal integrity. Let's get into it, shall we? Integrity. What a word. What a time to be alive. Integrity is the integration of ideals, convictions, standards, beliefs, and behavior. When our behavior is congruent with our professed values, when ideals and practice match, we have integrity. AKA, say what you mean, bitch! It really is a strange time to have the highest position in the country be occupied by a man with truly no integrity. I mean, it's comical to me because I don't know what else to do. If I can't laugh at it, I'll cry about it. But boy, does his actions and his words, they've never met. His actions and his words are in a very long distance relationship where they're just assuming the other one's doing fine and they're on the same page, but they will never meet because his daddy was mean to him, y'all, and he's hurt and he's being a little bitch about it because you could go inward and work on yourself, but he's not. Anyway, integrity arises as an issue only for those who profess standards and values which of course is the great majority of human beings. So if you don't have any values in your life, you don't have integrity. So like a kid doesn't have integrity yet. Because the kid is like, well, the kid isn't like, this is how I want to treat people. No, the kid's be busy being a kid, picking its nose, eating it, and then playing with Legos. When we behave in ways that conflict with our judgment of what is appropriate, we lose face in our own eyes. And that's the best, that's the biggest judge, y'all. It's yourself. If you can't respect yourself, you're just, I'll repeat that. When we have, when we behave in ways that conflict with our judgment of what is appropriate, we lose face in our own eyes. We respect ourselves less. If the policy becomes habitual, we trust ourselves less or cease to trust ourselves at all. And y'all, that's a big fucking problem. When a breach of integrity wounds self-esteem, only the practice of integrity can heal it. So when you say something and then you do the opposite, how to come back from that is to be very self-aware and do the things that you say. Practice what you preach. At the simplest level, personal integrity entails such questions as, am I honest? Yes. Reliable. Pretty much. Trustworthy. Yeah, let's tell me a juicy secret. Um, do I keep my promises? Do I do the things I say I admire and do I avoid the things I say I deplore? Am I fair and just in my dealings with others? Now, please keep in mind that this book does not, I mean, it, it kind of touches on certain things from your childhood, but it, it certainly does not go into childhood trauma. So one of the things that I, that fucks up my self-esteem, and it, but I'm, I'm trying to approach it with compassionate curiosity is I'll say that I'll, you know, if if I were, I'm working on one of my billion projects that I'm working on, I'm like, oh, I'll email you the notes tonight or I'll email you my thoughts tonight. And I know I won't. Like I keep over promising on due dates and oh boy, just negative delivering. And that fucks up my self-esteem. So I inserted some compassionate curiosity and I was like, Christina, why the 
fuck do you do that? And I haven't have I don't have an answer yet. My answer so far is I want to be able to to do it in that amount of time, but I am not capable at this time of having realistic setting realistic expectations. Man, is that fucking hard for me. And it fucks with my integrity. But also, I think for me, that is related to the childhood shit with like, you earned love by doing. That's how I earned love by doing. Maybe not you. That must be nice. Integrity does not guarantee that we will make the best choice. It only asks that our effort to find the best choice be authentic. Well, that's good news. That we stay conscious and stay connected with our knowledge Call on our best rational clarity, take responsibility for our choice and its consequences. Do not seek to escape into mental fog. Well, those are, that's a good list. Integrity means congruence. So that basically means words and behaviors match. Like a couple weeks ago when I was like, white whiteies, if your fan, if your white parents are like, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, do not run away from that conversation. And then when I, my mom was like, Black Lives Matter, they just love socialism. I'm like, okay, here we go. I had the conversation. I had the conversation, you know, for 15, 20 minutes and then I left, but I did have the conversation. And for me, that's, that's improvement. But it felt good to go, wow, I'm telling people to do this and I actually did it. That matters. There are people we know whom we trust and others we do not. <laughs> Statement of the goddamn century. If we ask ourselves the reason we will see that congruence is basic. Uh, we trust congruency and are suspicious of incongruency. So if you have somebody in your life who is constantly saying they're, they, they value one thing, but then their actions don't model that, then you're going to go, that person's a piece of shit. Studies disclose that many people in organizations do not trust those above them. Why? Lack of congruence. Beautiful mission statements, unsupported by practice. <laughs> the doctrine of respect for the individual, disgraced in action. Slogans about customer service on the walls, unmatched by the realities of daily business. Sermons about honesty, mocked by cheating. Promises of fairness, betrayed by favoritism. In most organizations, however, there are men and women whom others trust. Why? They keep their word. They honor their commitments. They don't just promise to stick up for their people. They do it. They just, they don't preach fairness. They practice it. They don't just counsel honesty and integrity. They fucking live it, bitch. I added that part. But I, there's a lot of people in my, my life, the, and a lot of the people I cut off, the, and that's, that honestly, I just now realize this. The people that I've cut off in my life, which hasn't been a lot, but maybe over quarantine, over quarantine, there was two. And then before that, my whole life, there was two. So four, that's not bad. But I realized one of the things that turns me off to them as a human being is their integrity is not there. It's not matched. If you tell me you care about me, fucking show it. And I understand the way people show love is not necessarily the way another person wants to receive love. I'm not talking about that shit. I'm talking about you're my friend. You mean a lot to me. And then when we talk, when I go to reach out to you, you fucking ignore me. Or when I'm at your house, you're on the phone. And now one might say, 
you could have a conversation about that. And yes, that's a good idea. However, where I'm at in my life, I just run away for a second. And then I realize why I ran away is because I don't like that person anymore. And I don't really want to have a conversation with them about that. But that's me and I need to work on it. Okay. Uh, Why we betray our standards. To understand why lapses of integrity are detrimental to self-esteem, consider what a lapse of integrity entails. If I act in contradiction to a moral value held by someone else, but not by me, I may or may not be wrong, but I cannot be faulted for having betrayed my convictions. If, however, I act against what I myself regard as right, if my actions clash with my expressed values, then I act against my judgment. I betray my mind. Hypocrisy, by its very nature, is self-invalidating. It is mind-rejecting itself. A default on integrity undermines me and contaminates my sense of self. I love the word contaminates because when you see somebody acting without integrity, it feels like you're in a fucking dumpster fire or an oil rig just spilled in the ocean and all the ducks are going quack. Uh, It damages me as no internal rebuke or rejection can damage me. If I give sermons on honesty to my children yet lie to my friends and neighbors, if I become righteous and indignant when people do not keep their commitments to me but disregard my commitments to others, and that's my fucking problem with the people I fucking cut off. I'm not mad about it. If I preach a concern with quality but indifferently sell my customers shoddy goods. (laughs) I love the word shoddy. If I unload bonds I know to be fa- uh, falling in value to a client who trusts my honor, if I pretend to care about my staff's ideas when my mind is already made up, oh, I fucking hate that one, y'all. So condescending. If I outmaneuver a colleague in the office and appropriate her achievements, that's fucking rude, and I'm glad he said her. If I ask for honest feedback and penalize the employee who disagrees with me, uh-oh, I feel like I've been guilty of that, y'all, and none of us are perfect. If I ask... If I ask for pay sacrifices from others on the grounds of hard times and then give myself a gigantic bonus, I may evade my hypocrisy. I may produce any number of rationalizations, but the fact remains that I launch an assault on my self-respect that no rationalization will dispel. Woo! That hurt. If I am uniquely situated to raise my self-esteem, I am also uniquely situated to lower it. Just going to pause so that can sink in. One of the greatest self-deceptions is to tell oneself, only I will know. Oh, this is a good part because this one hurts. Because I've said myself about that. I've, I've said, well, if only I know. Only I will know I'm a liar. Only I will know I deal unethically with people who trust me. Only I will know I have no intention of honoring my promise. My, the implication is that my judgment is unimportant and that only the judgment of others counts. But when it comes to matters of self-esteem, I have more to fear from my own judgment than from anybody else's. Ain't that the goddamn truth? In the inner courtroom of my mind, mine is the only judgment that counts. My ego, the I at the center of my consciousness, is the judge from whom there is no escape. Life's a horror movie, y'all, unless you love yourself. I can avoid people who have learned the humiliating truth about me. I cannot avoid myself. God damn! I wish I said that to some people. You can avoid... Wait, I can avoid the people who have learned the humiliating truth. Yeah, yeah motherfuckers you know who you are you can avoid the humiliating which is not humiliating really truth that i know about you but you can't avoid yourself boy 
You wake up and go to bed with yourself every day and every night. You got to smell your own farts. And I'm talking about a metaphor, not your actual farts, which you also have to do. Imposters who live for an illusion in someone else's mind, which is what you're doing basically when you say, well, only I will know. So that means you're fooling everybody else. So imposters who live for an illusion in someone else's mind, which they hold as more important than their own knowledge of the truth, do not enjoy good self-esteem. Well, duh. (laughs) Dealing with guilt. Oh, I hate guilt. I hate it. Makes me shiver in my boots. Guilt always carries the implication of choice and responsibility, whether or not we are consciously aware of it. For this reason, it is imperative that we be clear on what is and is not in our power. I know, Nathaniel, I'm working on it. What is and is not a breach of integrity. Otherwise, we run the risk of accepting guilt inappropriately. And boy, do I do that. But that's when you accept guilt inappropriately, this is what you do. When you feel guilty, talk back to that voice in your head. I'll feel, when I first got Kevin, I felt guilty over taking a cigarette break. Going outside and smoking a cigarette for 10 minutes. I'm like, am I abandoning my baby? But I had to talk back to that guilt and go, no, you're not abandoning your baby. But are you sure he's lonely? Maybe if he falls down the stairs, he's not going to fall down the stairs. Relax. That's conversations I have with myself. Guilt can serve as the desire for efficacy by providing an illusion of efficacy. Oh, that's a good statement, y'all. We see the same principle when children blame themselves for their parents' wrongdoing. If I weren't bad, daddy wouldn't have hit mommy. If I weren't bad, mommy would have got, uh, not gotten drunk and set the house on fire. These, wow, these are actual examples that he's given in these books. Can you imagine that you, if you thought that? If I weren't bad, mommy wouldn't have gotten drunk and set the house on fire. That's a burden that you carry that you don't need to. Little Tiffany or whatever your name is. This problem is examined in Honoring the Self. I guess that's a book. Um, The protection of self-esteem requires a clear understanding of the limits of personal responsibility. Where there is no power, there can be no responsibility. And where there is no responsibility, there can be no reasonable self-reproach. Regret, yes. Guilt, no. Regret, yeah. Regilt, guilt. (laughs) You like how I summarize that point? The very notion of guilt without volition or responsibility is an assault on reason as well as on morality. Generally speaking, generally speaking, five steps are needed to restore one's sense of integrity with regard to a particular breach. Okay, so here we go, y'all. This is the game plan. Did you tell your neighbor that you really love when people are not homophobic and then you go home and you own a bakery and a gay couple wants to get a cake made for their wedding but it's pre-covid time so just use your fucking imagination you're like ew gay people no that's a lapse in integrity you're not fucking practicing what you're preaching or your ideals are not matching your fucking and that's what i fucking hate about the republican national convention you stupid fucks and i'm not saying if you're a republican you're a bad person i do not think that at all but if you spoke at the national republican national convention you're up pretty much Saying that we should be scared of low-income apartments when you're standing on your lawn of your mansion with a machine gun? Go fuck yourself. 
if the people hired and paid for by the taxpayers to protect the citizens of a country are likely to shoot you because of the color of your skin, that's a reason to be afraid. You stupid sack of shit. See, I got to get my anger out, y'all. Okay, here are the, so anyway, where was I? These are the five steps. Okay, generally speaking, five steps that are needed to restore one's sense of integrity if you fuck it up. Number one, we must own the fact that it is we who have taken the particular action. We must face the action. We must face and accept the full reality of what we have done without disowning or avoidance. And don't shame yourself. Just go, yeah, I did that. We own, we accept, we take responsibility. Step two, we seek to understand why we did what we did. We do this compassionately as discussed under the practice of self-acceptance, but without evasive alibying. So don't blame it. Take responsibility. But ask yourself, why did I do that? Is it because mommy looked at me weird and she, when she brushed my hair, she did it too hard. And when I cried, she goes, stop crying. Maybe. Step three, if others are involved, as they often are, we acknowledge explicitly to the relevant person or persons the harm we have done. That's called fucking apologizing, y'all. We convey our understandings of the consequences of our behavior. We acknowledge how they have been affected by us. We convey understanding of their feelings. So we see you. We hear you. We're sorry. Step four, we take any and all actions available that might make amends for, for or minimize the harm we have done. Uh, step five, we firmly commit ourselves to behaving differently in the future. And let me tell you something. You might commit to behaving differently, and that is so important. But you might fuck up. But if you fuck up, don't go, well, all my efforts are down the drain. I might as well be a piece of shit. No. And then this section is called, what if our values are irrational? What if our standards are irrational or mistaken? We may accept or absorb a code of values that does not, that does violence to our nature and needs. Oh, that's a great sentence, isn't it? I'm going to repeat it because I fucked it up. And also, I think it bears repeating. We may accept or absorb a code of values that does, that does violence to our nature and needs. For example, certain religious teachings implicitly or explicitly damn sex, <laughs> damn pleasure, <laughs> damn the body, <laughs> damn ambition, <laughs> Damn material success. Damn for all practical purposes. The enjoyment of life on earth. Glad he said it. If children are indoctrined with these teachings, what will the practice of integrity mean in their lives? Some elements of hypocrisy may be all that keeps them alive. And boy, I'm just thinking of Catholicism. <laughs> you know, if your great, great grandmother told your great grandmother told your grandmother told your mom told you, that you're a whore if you have sex before you're married, that will become part of your values, but that is that though, following those values does violence to you who you are because you don't fucking believe that. So really ask yourself, is this something I believe or is this something somebody else wants me to believe? I ask myself that every damn day. Once we see that living up to our standards appears to be leading us towards self-destruction, the time has come to question our standards rather than simply resigning ourselves to living without integrity. That's what I'm saying. Don't just go, well, I guess I'll be a poopy little poop face. No. What are your values? What are they? Don't say it right now. Keep listening. 
As examples of the confusion and conflict about what the practice of integrity might mean in daily living, I offer the following. Women who, women who struggle with the moral dilemmas created by the Catholic Church's prohibition of birth control devices and abortion. <sighs> or if you work for Hobby Lobby, quit. Wives who sense that traditional view of women as servant to man is a morality of self-annihilation. Yep. A young person rebelling against the values of their parents and not knowing what vision of the good to live by instead. In such conflicts, we see how essential our... Uh, essential are other practices such as living consciously and self-responsibility to integrity. We cannot practice integrity in an intellectual vacuum. Well, isn't that the goddamn truth? One area in which living consciously and, integ uh, and integrity and integrity clearly intersects. <laughs> I'll start over, guys. One area in which living consciously and integrity clearly intersect is in the need to reflect on the values we have been taught, the shared assumptions of our family or culture, the roles we may have been assigned, and to question whether they fit our own perceptions and our understandings, or whether they do violence to the deepest and best within us, to what is sometimes called our true nature. One of the most positive aspects of the woman's movement. Yeah, let's talk about women as I see it. Yeah, tell me what you think, Nathaniel. No, he's a good point. Is its insistence that women think for themselves about who they are, what is possible and appropriate to them and what they want, not what someone else wants them to want. God. And that's why I get so fucking pissed when a man has an opinion on abortion. I have zero room in my heart for your opinion, man. And I have zero room in my heart and my head for anybody trying to tell any woman what the fuck to do with her fucking body. Thank you. Uh, okay, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, but men need to learn this kind of independent thinking as much as women do. I agree. One of the penalties for living unconsciously for both sexes is that that of enduring unrewarding lives in the service of self saltifying ends never examined or chosen with awareness by the individuals involved. So if you're a lawyer because your daddy was a lawyer, but you fucking hate law, think about that. You should do what you want to do with respect to others. The higher the level of, of consciousness at which we operate, the more we live by explicit choice and the more naturally does integrity follow as a consequence. Uh, oh, here's, so here's a great example he lists. I, I love this example because it's, it's kind of subtle, you know? It's not like all the shit examples I've been pulling out of my butthole. Uh, okay, so here's one example. Philip is the close friend of a famous actor. He is the actor's confident, confidant. He listens empathetically when his friend calls him, sometimes in the middle of the night, to talk for hours about his personal and professional troubles. Philip's feeling of self-worth are nurtured by the intimacies this famous man shares with him. When he is with other friends, Philip cannot resist dropping remarks from time to time that stress the closeness of their connection. Quote, I know millions of women adore him, but you'd be surprised at how insecure he is. He always is asking, is it me they want or my fame? Or he has this awful feeling of being an imposter. Isn't that sad? He's such a wonderful person. Or sometimes, and this is confidential, of course, he has trouble maintaining his erection. Philip insists that he loves his friend and is absolutely loyal. 
What does he tell him? What does he tell himself at three o'clock in the morning about his dozens of betrayals generated by his cravings for status in the eyes of his other friends? Does he notice that each such betrayal lowers rather than raises his self-esteem? Does he make the connection? I mean, you'd have to be pretty fucking self-aware to make that connection. But that's like, it's so easy for us to slip into non-integrity. And I like that example a lot because I have absolutely done that shit. I have 100% been close with a famous person or somebody, not, not like super close, but like I know them. And then I like... I don't. I don't betray their trust if they tell me something secret. I. I. I know. I. 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 LOL about how I can't keep a secret. But if it's juicy, I'm gonna tell Corinne or Kevin. Okay, that's really what I mean by that. But I. I. I would act in the past like, oh yeah, I know them. I know who they are, and uh, I'm gonna brag about it to this other person who's like, you know, famous people. Like when you move to New York City and then you come back and visit your friends, they're like, have you met any famous people? And you're like, actually, I have this person and this person. It's like it feels gross. It feels gross because that's not what I value about the person. I value fame for other reasons because somebody accomplished something that's really hard to accomplish. But me bragging about it and to another friend and then telling that famous person that are, you know, wow, people are just friends with you because they're trying to get something out of you. Well, I kind of am too in that respect. So that's something to really, really sit down with yourself, baby, and interrogate. Okay, here's a personal example. Because I love when our boy Nathaniel Brandon gets personal. Let me put my microphone down for this so I can hold the book with both hands. I have said that moral decisions are not always easy and that sometimes, rightly or wrongly, we experience our choices as agonizingly complex and difficult. Many years ago, I was married to a woman I was very attached to but no longer loved. My romance with Ayn Rand was fading but not officially terminated. Both relationships, so these are two different people. Both relationships were painfully unresolved when I met and fell passionately in love with a third woman I would later marry, Patricia. And it's spelled P-A-T-R-E-C-I-A. That's why I'm saying it, Patricia. So we'll see. Who would die at the age of 37. Oh man, that sucks. For a long time, my mind was a chaos of conflicting loyalties and I had handled things very badly. I did not tell the truth to my wife or to Ayn as soon as I could have. Never mind the reasons. Quote, reasons do not alter facts. Someone tell that to Trump. It was a long road, but at its end was painfully acquired knowledge I had possessed at the beginning. That the truth had to be told and that by procrastinating and delaying, I merely made the consequences for everyone more terrible. I succeeded in protecting no one, least of all myself. If part of my motive was to spare people I cared about, I inflicted a worse pain than they would otherwise have experienced. If part of my motive was to protect my self-esteem by avoiding a conflict among my values and loyalties, it was my self-esteem that I damaged. Lies do not work. Keeping your integrity in a corrupt world. Well, that's very relevant to today, y'all. In a world where we regard ourselves and are regarded by others as accountable for our actions, the practice of integrity is relatively easier than in a world where the principle of personal accountability is absence, aka America 2020. A culture of accountability tends to support our moral aspirations. 
If we live in a society where business associates, corporate heads, political figures, religious leaders, and other public personalities hold themselves to high standards of morality, it is relatively easier for an average person to practice integrity than in a society where corruption, cynicism, and amorality are the norm a.k.a. America 2020. In the latter kind of society, the individual is likely to feel that the quest for personal integrity is futile and unrealistic, unless he or she is extraordinarily independent and autonomous. And you have to be when you look at a Trump speech, y'all. And that's the people who support him, I believe, are not. The challenge for people today, and it is not an easy one, is to maintain high personal standards while feeling that one is living in a moral sewer. <laughs> That's great. Grounds for such a feeling are to be found in the behavior of our public figures, the horror of world events, and in our so-called art and entertainment, so much of which celebrates depravity, depravity, cruelty, mindless and mindless violence, all contribute to making the practice of personal integrity a lonely and heroic undertaking. If integrity is a source of self-esteem, then it is also, and never more so than today, an expression of self-esteem. Well, that's a good one. And I'm going to read one last part. And that last part is, the, is called the principle of reciprocal causation. Those words I looked up a long time ago, and you can too. Indeed, this leads to an important question about all the six pillars it might be asked to practice them. Does one need to not already possess self-esteem? How then can they be the foundation of self-esteem? So in other words, do I got to even have, is this a catch 22? It's like, you know, when you want to get a, a, a job as a waiter in New York City and they're like, we well, have to have waiting experience in New York City. And you're like, well, I can't have that unless someone takes the chance on me. You piece of shit. In answering, I must introduce what I call the principle of reciprocal causation. By this, I mean that behaviors that generate good self-esteem are also expressions of good self-esteem. Living consciously is both a cause and an effect of self-efficacy and self-respect. And so is self-acceptance, self-responsibility, all the practices that I describe. The more I live consciously, the more I trust my mind and respect my worth. And if I trust my mind and respect my worth... It feels natural to live consciously. The more I live with integrity, the more I enjoy good self-esteem. And if I enjoy good self-esteem, it feels natural to live with integrity. You see that? Another noteworthy aspect of the dynamics involved here is the practice of these virtues over time tends to generate a felt need for them. Fucking fake it till you make it, y'all. Basically, fake it till you make it. It works. It worked for me. If I habitually operate at a high level of consciousness, unclarity and fog in my awareness will make me uncomfortable. Right. So if you're self-aware, in the moments where you are not aware and you're foggy, you're going to be like, wait a second. So your little warning signs are going to go, eh, eh, we got to look at this. <laughs> Over. I will usually experience a drive to dispel the darkness. If I have made self-responsibility second nature, Passivity and dependency will be onerous to me. If I, I will experience internal pressure to reassert the control over my existence, possible only with autonomy. If I have been, if I have been consistent in my integrity, I will, experience dis, uh, I will experience dishonesty on my part as disturbing and will feel a thrust to resolve the dissonance 
and restore the inner sense of moral cleanliness. That's basically saying if you practice these six pillars of self-esteem enough to the point where you're like, hey, wait a second, this is fucking awesome, then you will be more aware of moments in your life where you don't say what you mean, where you go, I love you, I think you're great, but really in your head you're thinking, those will stick out to you more. And you'll be like, ew, what's that? I'm going to fucking fix it. And we got to fucking fix it. It meaning us. Okay, guys? So there you have it. That was the sixth pillar of self-esteem, according to Nathaniel Brandon. That was only chapter 11 of the book. And so it's really only halfway through the book. So buckle up, y'all, because we got a lot more learning to do about self-esteem. I'm really excited about this book, and I hope that you... um, I hope you like it. But if you don't, I can't help it. Um, please rate it and review me on iTunes if you want. Um, but only if you love love me and want to give me five stars. Thank you to that lady for the, for the waffles. Um, throughout the course of this episode, I'm very excited to report that my waffle baby has um, disintegrated. I did not poop during this episode. I just, I feel like I'm not bloated anymore. That's basically what I mean. Um, I love you guys. Hang in there. Life is fucking hard. Don't be a dick to other people. When other people express pain, listen to them and believe them and don't meet them with some bullshit defense that you pulled out of your white asshole, okay? I love you so much and I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thank you,